0: Welcome
1: to the Just Solutions Podcast from Free Speech TV. I'm Maeve Conran. On today's show, the recent Supreme Court overturning of Roe v. Wade and the numerous abortion bans that have come in its wake have left many wondering what's next for reproductive rights. President of the National Organization for Women, Christian Nunez, says the fight must now turn to the local, state and regional levels with support for abortion rights candidates and a ramping up of pressure on state legislatures to act. Now has launched a virtual campaign training programme to teach participants how to run for office and with the midterm elections just months away, they say there's too much at stake to not take action. From Free Speech TV, Just Solutions. Well, everybody is still reeling from the Supreme Court decision, albeit we knew this was coming. But I'd like to talk about the most recent action in this, and that is the executive order Um, signed by President Biden just days ago around abortion access. And I know that this has many facets to us, including the creation of an abortion task force, um, expanding access to emergency contraception, and much more. Take us through your immediate thoughts, because I I also want to talk about the statement that you released in in reaction to that, but your thoughts on this executive action.
0: Sure, sure me. well, first we, now we acknowledge and, and congratulate, you know, President Biden for taking the initiative to issue an executive order regarding protecting reproductive rights and privacy. Um, it's a great first step. And we are excited about that. This first step of the executive order discusses protecting privacy with the HIPAA. It also protects, uh, talks about guaranteeing medical abortion access and just resources. But what we know is that for sure, if, you know, Roe and reproductive rights and abortion access is not codified into federal legislation, it will continue to be a a fight for everyone in the states. And so we need to do more than just a step. We need, like, immediate implementation, make sure we're protecting those rights of, of persons who can become pregnant.
1: Well, your statement in response to that executive action said pretty much that, that no executive action can restore the protections that the Supreme Court has taken away. We need a new Congress. Now, to that end, of course, we are in an important midterm election year now has actually launched and and this has been going on for a while this uh, virtual program to encourage women to run for office take us through this because i want to talk about how we do get a new congress and how do we encourage candidates who will have reproductive rights as central to their platform how do we get them running and potentially elected into office
0: sure well, when I say elect a new Congress, what we're speaking about, and what I'm particularly speaking about, is the fact that we have to make sure that the Congress that we are electing is going to have our rights and interests at stake, and they are going to uphold those rights and interests every time they take a vote. Um, what we've seen the last few years is that that has not always happened. So electing a new Congress is making sure that we are electing candidates, candidates, um, that are going to become elected officials who will value reproductive rights, who will value the privacy and protection of individuals, who will value constituents' needs to live fully sustainable, safe lives. Um, these, These abortion bans are not only affecting reproductive rights and justice, they're also causing economic injustice and racial injustice. So we want to make sure that we are electing a new Congress who's going to look at this from an intersectional perspective and look at how it totally affects the whole person and gonna make sure they're gonna elect and put forth and stand for us every day and every single time in Congress.
1: We've had the midterms in several states, as some other states still yet to have, not the midterms, but rather the primaries. So so some other states still yet to have their primaries as we head into the midterms. Are you seeing reproductive rights messaging in some of the primaries and as we are seeing uh, candidates emerge who will be running in the midterms, how are you seeing reproductive rights as part of their platform?
0: Sure. So it's two ways that we are seeing this. We are, what through our running out program, we are training candidates to make sure that they are including that messaging and understand how it's important to include that messaging uh, when they are running for office. And as we are vetting at the federal level with our federal PAC, we're looking for candidates who are actually making sure they were speaking clearly and loudly about reproductive access. We're seeing a lot of them speak out. The ones who are running for reelection who voted consistently on um, supporting you know, Roe, they are speaking out. We're, make, we're seeing that in their messaging. And for those who are coming forth, they're making commitments to be uh, pro-reproductive rights and justice advocates um, if they are elected. So it's important that we understand how this affects everyone and everyone's making sure that they're acknowledging their commitments or their plans to be committed. Um, if they're going to be feminist progressive candidates, you know, we're looking for that and looking for that language.
1: Tell us how you are actually supporting these candidates, because you have these virtual meetings that you are encouraging people to run for office, this Run Now program. But what are you hearing from people who maybe want to serve their community but at the same time are very concerned about what a toxic space our political life has, has become. Tell us who you are hoping will step into these spaces and what you're hearing from them.
0: Yes, our Run Now program is actually a program where we partner with other organizations who've been doing this work for a very long time helping candidates get elected. So we're not trying to recreate the will, we're trying to partner to expand our reach And then through that, what we do is we not only train individuals who run to run for office, but we also train individuals who want to be campaign operatives, who want to be campaign managers and serve on those campaigns, because that is just as important. So through that, we are, you know, tagging with groups like Emerge and Speak Easy um, that are going to help us make sure our candidates have that information they need to be successful when they're on the trail running. And we are working with our states to make sure they are knowing what we're looking for and helping identify candidates from the, you know, all the way from school board, all the way to the federal level, because our Run Now program helps train everyone, not just federal candidates, but those local candidates as well. Because what we're seeing right now, May, is these abortion bans are happening in the states. So we need to make sure that we're picking candidates and electing candidates at state levels that will also protect the reproductive rights for everyone.
1: I think that's a very important point to emphasize that very often when we talk about the need for legislation or the need to enact protections in the wake of a decision like Roe, there's such an emphasis on what's happening at a federal level. But so much of this is playing out at a local level because these abortion bans are happening at a state level. Essentially, what the Supreme Court has done is sent it back to the states. So it seems in many ways the focus should actually be more on what's happening at a state level and then at an even more local community level because protections for people seeking to access reproductive care, so much of this happens at a very grass level community level.
0: Absolutely, May. Well, now our history is based in grassroots advocacy and activism, so we understand the importance of taking things to a local community. And one of the things that we have to also understand is that your community can do a lot to protect your rights and health access. From city councils can pass ordinances, your state legislators can pass laws, what we're seeing. You can pass ballot referendums right now for the midterms, to make sure they're getting on to help continue to protect while we're still fighting at the federal level. So states are extremely important because that's where your life is affected every single day. That has to hand. If we're not looking at how we can protect reproductive rights and access at the state level, we're doing a disservice to everyone.
1: I think that's a really important message because I think there's a real sense of disempowerment that can happen when we're seeing inaction at a federal level and we're seeing these major decisions coming down from the Supreme Court. I think there are people who feel a real sense of helplessness, but if we focus on what can happen effectively at a local level that can really empower people, is that something that you've you've seen?
0: Yes, absolutely. You know, I think what we can, like you're saying, is that Right now, everyone's feeling so many emotions and un, you know undesired emotions. We really should say more than anything for those who are for um, you know self autonomy and free agency and especially reproductive rights access. But right now, what we can do is channel that into what we can take all of our assets together and see how do we use this to help continue to protect individuals. So that can be letter writing, that can be contacting your local state legislators, that can be phone banking. That could be helping with GOTV getting off the vote to get more people registered to vote, who we know will support the type of candidates we need to be elected into office at the state level and the federal level. So there are a lot of things that we can do. It could also be really important too, is funding abortion care funds for those people who need access, who are most most likely gonna be affected. You know, we know, and persons of poverty are most likely going to be ha- the full brunt of this. So, contributing to abortion funds, you know, helping be escorts at clinics that are still existing, all these things are important steps where you can turn your emotions and your feelings of despair into a way to be acting of activism and also be able to be helpful for someone who really needs that help.
1: It's interesting that we are seeing people reaching across state lines, obviously, now, because it's we have essentially a patchwork quilt of uh, reproductive rights, where one state has one set of rights and another state has total bans in place. But we're also seeing these connections happening internationally because abortion rights activists in other countries are now reaching out to the US in this reversal of what we have had over the decades where activists in Latin America that have had very successful campaigns there are now reaching back to the US to say how can we now support you, you supported us for many years, we want to support your efforts now around abortion access. What are your thoughts on that, how this is actually a global issue And, and also reports coming out that we are seeing the same elements that have uh, led the way around abortion bans here in the US, with their sights set on these countries that have overturned abortion bans, whether it's in Latin America, countries like Colombia, Argentina, or Mexico, or countries in Europe like Ireland, which uh, repealed its very uh, strict abortion ban by a vote of the people. There were reports there that the same groups that have led the, the, the path to Abortion bans in the U.S. now have their sights set there. So, how can we create this international movement around reproductive rights?
0: Well, you know, I feel like reproductive rights has always been an international movement. You know, abortion access has always been global. And what we know is a lot of states and um, and a lot of country, actually, a lot of countries have had abortion access and seen it as healthcare. That have you know had less resources and access in the United States of America, and they see abortion as healthcare, and it's really important that I point that out because it's time that I'm, you know, the United States of America also sees it. And I think I'm I'm, I'm really excited to see that so many um, countries globally are coming on to support us in this fight because this is a movement of solidarity. We have to all come together recognizing the importance of sticking together and not working in silos so we can protect everyone's reproductive fights. Just as you mentioned, you know, these, stre- these extremists are coming for everyone and they've moved from states now trying to go globally because it is about power and control. And we have to do everything we can to be in solidarity, working, you know, coordinated efforts to protect reproductive rights and health access and freedoms for everyone, no matter what their what area of the town they live in, what their zip code is, or what country they reside in.
1: I'd like to talk a little bit more about that, that how to frame this as very much a health issue. And in fact, President Biden has uh, made reference to this about abortion, uh, the abortion bans being a public health crisis. When we look at what has happened in some of those other countries that have very strict Catholic countries that had very, very strict abortion laws that have now repealed some of them. I mentioned them, Colombia, Argentina, Mexico. Mm-hmm. A lot of their messaging was health as opposed to privacy, which is what the foundation of abortion laws us here in this country seem to be I mean the essence of Roe was a privacy issue and even in this latest executive action by President Biden he talks about privacy what if we reframed all of this as a public health issue and acknowledge on a public platform that women will still have abortions but it won't be safe and it won't be healthy and it's the poor and that the marginalized women and pregnant people that will suffer so how do we frame this as a public health issue
0: It's really important that we reframe this as a public health issue because it truly is. There are women and pregnant persons right now that are dying because of these bans and they're dying for lack of access. There are pharmacists who are not prescribing medications that are helpful for not just persons who are pregnant, but persons with autoimmune diseases and cancer because those those pills that can also be listed as the and pills that can induce abortion. So they are being restricted from releasing and prescribing those pills. Their fear of losing their license and possibly, and what's happening is, and so people with cancer, people with autoimmune diseases are now also having to face consequences, which are going to be debilitating for their health and standing. There are people, A lot of these laws don't have, you know, um, exclusions for. Uh, you know, um, incest or rape or child child trafficking or human trafficking or any of these things. And we're not looking at how this has a whole impact on the women. And when you think about, uh, you know, we're not looking at science, we're looking at control. So this has to be reframed on the true facts of what happens, you know, with health and the impacts this will have on the health of a person and take it away from our religion or our privacy or any other thing. This is about making sure we are keeping lives um, healthy and well and not putting more health trauma or violence on a person because we decide we wanna try to control them. And it really needs to shift in frame so we can because the same people, black and brown people, People suffering from poverty, disabled, immigrants are going to be the main ones who are directly impacted by this more than ever. Or they're already dealing with health disparities in the healthcare system, anyways.
1: Christian Nunez is the president of the National Organization for Women. You can find out more about their work and their virtual campaign training program at their website, now.org. And you can find out more about Just Solutions and watch past episodes at our website, freespeech.org. Chris, just to, you know further delve into that issue around health many of these abortion bans well some of them have exemptions for the health of the woman but we're already hearing reports from medical professionals saying well we are almost paralyzed when we have a situation where we know a woman's health is at risk but we have to let it go to a point where she's almost near death whether this is in an ectopic pregnancy or you know some other life and death health situation related to pregnancy and so even when those who who are against abortion say well we have exemptions you know to protect the health of the woman that is not playing out in reality and we're already hearing reports of that from different states
0: and a woman shouldn't have to get to near death in order for the exemption to take place and i think it's important to understanding why are we jeopardizing women's lives in order to get to place to what how are we saving lives? If we're we're talking about saving lives, this is not saving lives to put a woman in a place or pregnant person in a place where we are waiting for them to get near death before we intervene. It is inhumane. And we must do something to stop that. So we have to continue to fight to change and fight against this. And we have to continue to fight to make sure that we are protecting reproductive rights and healthcare access at all costs. We cannot afford this to happen. We cannot afford for people to feel, live in fear for making decisions for their own bodies. This is just not OK. We have to continue to push forward.
1: And the reality is that many of these states, and in fact, this entire country has very poor maternal outcomes, particularly for women of colour and particularly for black women. So this is part of a whole conversation about how we're being comp- underserved from a health perspective and now people are being forced to to carry pregnancies as well and we've talked a lot about this and I'd like I'd love uh, to talk more with you about this as the youngest person of color to lead now you have a very unique perspective on this, that um, it is people of colour, it's pregnant people of colour, it's women of colour who are bearing the brunt of this, and they're already underserved by our healthcare system. So when we talk about that, I think that those facts often just wash over people because we say it so often. But from your perspective, what does that look like? How is this playing out that poor, marginalised and people of colour are bearing the brunt of these abortion laws?
0: It's an everyday current. It's an everyday experience. Um, I myself have a three-year-old and I had him at eight months and I had to go in for an emergency, um, you know, for emergencies, um, emergency situation um, due to some medical issues. And I know when I first went in complaining, they ignored me. You know, I have insurance. I had my own business. They were ignored me. And it was not because of my provider who knew my health history and demanded that they intervene it could have been a totally different outcome as a black woman and i was 41 when i had my child so i know this firsthand with my own personal experience and i know that for women who have you know other conditions maybe they're experiencing low poverty maybe they're experiencing lack of access you know maybe they're ones that have to work and don't have all these benefits it's even worse we know women are still fighting. We hear stories every day of, you know, women like uh, Serena Williams, who they ignored her. So there is already systematic racism that is built into our healthcare system that denies women of color, or ignores their symptoms until they get to severity. And while we have the Black maternal mortality rate higher than anything, and it's not just for Black women, but it's higher for Black women. And we know that also with women who are disabled, um, they ignore their symptoms and how they communicate their symptoms as well. So this is an extreme problem we're looking at. And we really have to make sure if we are not providing resources and access, um, we also know in rural communities, right? Rural communities, they have some people have to drive hundreds of miles to see LBGYN, which put them at more risk as well to getting adequate maternal and care when they're pregnant. So I think we have to look at really how this plays out. We're not providing more resources. We're not amending high, Hy- we're not trying to repeal height amendments. We're not trying to make sure there's full coverage and more OBGYN services available. We're not trying to make sure that we are providing more resources for WIC. There's a shortage in infant formula right now. We can't even provide infant formula for families to get for their for their infants. So how are we going to say that we are one in one hand, this is going to help protect when we still have it that the multiple health disparities based on oppression, discrimination in our systems. We have to start there before we try to control a person's bodily autonomy.
1: I mean, what you've described there, Christian, is that this is not happening in a vacuum. This is happening in a scenario, in a situation where we just do not have adequate, adequate health care. So getting back to what we you know, began the conversation with around how do we get a new Congress? How do we get candidates and then elected officials who have all of this at their core, because we can hear, OK, well, I will protect reproductive rights. But what about all of these other issues that you have brought up there? What are the questions that people, as we are heading into the midterms, need to be asking candidates, not just about will you protect abortion rights? Because as we're hearing, it's so much bigger than that.
0: Absolutely, may. There's lots of questions we need to answer. One is kind of like, what are their viewpoints on it? You know, what are their viewpoints on states controlling, you know, individuals' rights in general? How do they vote? If If they're incumbents, how did they vote last time? I think important questions to ask. You know, what work have they done in their communities? What communities are they involved in? I think all these important things to know. I think asking community and organizations and collaborative partners, how often have these elected officials showed up when they weren't running for office? That's an important question to ask too, because you want to know that those people are committed to this work through and through, not just when it's time to get elected. So I think we have to make sure we're vetting candidates effectively, finding out their voting history, if they're um, they're elected and they're um, incumbents. We also need to make sure people understand fully what reproductive health looks like, what reproductive justice means. We wanna make sure they understand what intersectionality means and how will you arrive effective intersectional policy? What does it look like? And what does that mean for, for, uh, for women and pregnant persons and for people who are fighting for feminist issues? And we wanna make sure they are truly feminist and progressive candidates. It's not just signing a checkbox and saying, I am, how have you shown this in your work? The true image shows in your work and your actions, not just your words.
1: And then for people who may be watching, who have been energized or enraged, but activated by what's been happening, and they maybe want to find some avenue into politics. We mentioned there you are running those virtual meetings for Run Now in partnership with many other groups. But what questions should people ask themselves if that this, they feel that this is something that they can contribute to, if they feel that they can run for some type of office?
0: Absolutely. I think if you feel like you can run for office, then you you should go for it. I think you want to make sure that you're clear on why you're running, um, because that's going to be important. And once you figure out why you're running, I think you need to get the education about what it means to run for office. Educating yourself is always a first step. And then finding out resources, maybe talking to other elected officials and getting an idea of what it looks like. And also then taking some classes like this training program right now is a perfect place to learn um, how you can get the information you need to run an effective and successful campaign for women's rights and feminists and things like that. So I think the first step is, you know, doing your own self-analysis, making sure you're running for the right reasons and you can do that. And then second, reaching out and talking to individuals and third, you know, signing up for programs like Run Now that can be very helpful for you to train you and give you the tools and information you need to be and run a successful campaign, um, either as a campaign operative or as an elected official.
1: And I think that's important to mention as well. There are lots of ways to be in a supporting role when it comes to these issues. If you don't feel, I can run for office myself, there are many, many other opportunities to support other folk. But in the last couple of minutes that we have, Christian, of course, has been so much focus on what's happened recently with the overturning of Roe. What are some of the other major issues that now is working towards? What are some of the other campaigns that you have, but also that you want candidates and uh, people running for office to pay attention to?
0: Sure. Sure. So we have six core issues that we focus on constitutional quality reproductive rights and justice racial justice economic justice ending violence against women and lgbtqia issues those are our six core issues so throughout the year we consistently cover those issues in our campaigns and we try to make sure that we are doing that from an intersectional perspective on all of our core issues so, we're covering all those different ways that it affects those communities. Right now, we are really focused on, of course, electing candidates for this midterm. Um, voting rights is an important campaign for us, and economic justice due to the pandemic and the she session that's happened, and just getting women in a place of having economic recovery, um, and as well as like then so it's child care tax credits, paid, me, uh, paid me, uh, and family medical leave act, as well as the Pregnancy Fairness Act. Uh, we are also pushing for violence against women right now. They're you know, still continuing to push those, in, those the authorization acts and ending the boyfriend loophole, things that will protect women, as well as online cyber flashing. Uh, we are also working on pushing legislation for online cyber flashing with a coalition partner, Bumble. So we are doing a lot to make sure that not only are we uh, protecting women um, in person, but also online. And we're really excited about those campaigns and collaborative partnerships we have. Uh, we also have a campaign in partnership with uh, Women Are Voting, which is also encouraging women to get out and vote as we are the, the primary voting block um, that is founded with some other coalition partners, the supermajority and others. So we are continuing to work in coalition. That's very important for us. And we're training our organizers to be stronger in the work they're doing on the field in their states to make sure they are organizing and picking out those candidates and being available to represent our issues as much as we can.
1: And is there anything that is giving you hope right now? Because it does seem like there is a lot to battle against. But what are some of the bright spots that you've seen?
0: The strength of everyone. I mean, despite everything we've seen, everyone is strong and everyone's continued to seek the the results, um, the the rights um, that we all deserve. Everyone's not no one is willing to back down. And I think that's super important because history's shown us that the you know the victory is fought. Uh, it's a it's a hard fought and it's a long fought and so uh fight. And uh, we have to make sure that we are not giving up and that we are continuing to move forward and just using our assets, and using our skills and working in solidarity. And the solidarity of everyone coming together has been very helpful for me. And it lets me know that we are not alone in this and people are supportive of this and making sure that we're women's lives.
1: Well, Christian Nunez, who is the president of the National Organization for Women, thank you so much for being our guest in Just Solutions today.
0: Thank you so much, May, for having me. Christian Nunez
1: president of the National Organization for Women, was our guest today on the Just Solutions podcast. Find out more about their work at their website now.org and find out more about us and watch past episodes at freespeech.org. Subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode. For the Just Solutions podcast from Free Speech TV, I'm Maeve Conran.